Today's Bible reading is coming from uh, 2 Peter, and I'll be reading chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. 2 Peter. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false prophets, but false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by depraved conduct of the lawless. For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless, lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous, the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasonable, oh sorry, unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. Great chapter, isn't it? Chapter 1 of Peter is all good. It's about growing in him and about having assurance and security in the, um, in the scriptures that they are the true word of God. But when you come to chapter 2, it's a difficult chapter. I certainly wrestled this week with how do I uh, combine this in such a way that's going to be helpful for us. Uh, I encourage you certainly uh, go home and read it. Peter's certainly writing it because there was a, a real issue going on in the early church and it's still going on as he says in chapter 1 that there were false prophets there and there will be uh, false teachers among you because next to truth there is error. Next to the genuine, there is counterfeit. Next to wheat, as Jesus said, there are weeds. And outside of hell, outside of heaven, there is hell. So I think this is a tough chapter, and the book of Jude is very similar to it. Um, but it's a necessary warning to us, and its application is quite challenging to us. So to that end, let me pray. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your word, even difficult and tough chapters like this one. Help us, Lord, to listen and to wrestle with the text 
and to respond to truth. We pray that you would enlighten us and strengthen us and help us to be completely and fully obedient to your will and to your word. And we ask and pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. If we, in our church, what we do is uh, we work our way through Bible books. That's been my practice for years, all of my ministry, in fact. And uh, occasionally we do topics, and that can be very helpful. But generally, we pick a Bible book and we work our way through it. And it's because of that practice that we end up having to face chapters like this one, that you have to face difficult texts. You just can't jump over them or ignore them. And, and so it's because of that practice that we are committed to hearing what God has to say to us. This is Peter's second letter, and one-third of this second letter, one chapter out of three, is in fact devoted to exposing or reminding the true church about false Christians, about false Christianity. Um, he says in verse 1, what I'm going to try and do is combine this in some way. I hope you can read that carefully. Uh, Peter has just spoken about... Um, we have the word of the prophets um, even firmer because of his experience with Jesus' transfiguration. And he's saying the scriptures are fully reliable because they've been inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is the end of chapter 1. And you would do well to pay attention to it. As soon as he talks about that, he then goes to this. But there were, just like there were false prophets in the Old Testament, uh, all through the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 13 in particular is one chapter exposing it which I encourage you to have a, a look at, um, all the way through the Old Testament, false prophets. So Peter says, just whether there false prophets then, so you're going to have false teachers among you. Now, that's a challenging word. You are going to have false teachers among you. Don't think about Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. It's, that's not his point, though they are false teachers. It's rather false teachers in the church. And so one of the applications to this chapter is to wrestle with who were the false teachers inside the church today? And we could come up with different answers. And we need to guard ourselves against becoming negative or legalistic, you know, condemners of others. But we are to take this word very seriously and we're to be on guard and to be looking out for where there is false teaching and to expose it, to protect ourselves from it. So it's a difficult ask. But Peter says that these false teachers, they will be here. It's certain that they're going to be amongst us. Um, in the local church, certainly they're on TV, they're on the internet, and they're also in the community. Which means, to state the obvious, there's no such thing as a perfect church, except for Sunnybank District Baptist, I know, but and especially the 8.30 congregation, I, I know. <clears throat> and you know that I'm kidding. It's, there's no such thing as a perfect church. There are hypocrites in the church. Sorry, you may not have realised that. So therefore, the church is not perfect. And people on the outside who look inside and say, the church is not perfect, it's full of hypocrites, yep, yeah, that's true. But don't let... The counterfeit turn you off the real. You know, everything has been imitated. 
Art's been imitated. You can buy fake watches. We went to Hong Kong when my daughter was there. and It was amazing what you could buy over there. You could buy false luggage and bags. You know Louis Vuitton? You can buy imitation Louis Vuitton luggage. And so we did. <laughs> and they're good quality for time because they're not the real thing. So everything has been imitated and impressed, so too with Christianity. Uh, the Lord Jesus certainly told us there are going to be false Christs and false prophets and false teaching, and even at the end of time, there is going to be the ultimate false Christ, the Antichrist. It says that they will secretly introduce their destructive heresies. They'll do it secretly. They don't come in, you know, all smiles. They use the same vocabulary, but they've got a different dictionary. I'll never forget the time I had a conversation... Can I get that bottle of water, please? I had a conversation with a Jehovah's Witness. I'm not sure what your practice is. No, not that one. The other one. Thanks. Um, I talk to them when they come, usually. Sometimes I'm too busy or whatever, distracted, and don't want to talk to them. But if I, get, if I can, I try to talk to them, engage them in a conversation, and present the gospel to them. Jesus loves them. Jesus cares for them. Jesus wants them to repent. But I haven't found one yet. Uh, where I have been successful. They're incredibly entrenched, and in fact, this chapter will refer to people like them, and we'll get to it probably. Um, but I spoke to one guy at the front lawn. Uh, I don't know what I was doing, mowing the lawn or whatever, and so I couldn't stop, but I said to him, do you confess Jesus as Lord? Yes. Jehovah's Witness? Yes. Do you believe he died on the cross? Yes. Do you believe he rose from the dead? Yes. Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? Yes. It wasn't until later that I realised he's saying yes to words, but he doesn't mean what I mean by those words. Is Jesus Lord? Well, yes, he is. Is he God? No, no, he's Lord. They make a distinction uh, and so on. They have the same vocab, but they have a different meaning behind it. So this passage is saying to us that these people are going to be in the church. So just look left, look right and see if you can see a false teacher or a false prophet. <clears throat> you won't be able to tell by looking at them. They'll be nice, they'll smile, and they'll be genuine in appearance, but the reality is, secretly within them, they have different beliefs, different ideas, different standards. In fact, they're destructive beliefs. And they even get to the point of denying who Jesus is. Not outwardly, not boldly, subtly. They'll either deny his incarnation or they'll deny his deity or they'll deny his substitutionary death on the cross or they'll deny his resurrection or they'll deny his ascension or they'll deny his second coming. They'll deny something about Jesus. And ultimately, that's where all false teachers go astray when it comes to the person of Jesus. So the thing to ask them is about, tell me about Jesus. What do you think? Who was he? What did he do? And that will give you an immediate insight into whether they are a true follower or not. Peter goes on. They will be successful. Many will follow their depraved teaching, their depraved conduct. And not only that, not only will they be popular, hence look at the JWs or the Mormons or whatever, there's lots of people, hundreds, thousands of people who follow them, who accept that. So too within the church there are false teachers who are popular and people follow that. 
because they're not hearing truth, they're hearing what they want to hear. Whether it's the health and wealth and prosperity gospel or whatever, whatever diversion it is. But they not only will be successful, they'll also bring the truth into disrepute. That's what false teachers do. Most of you know this. They're motivated by their greed and they fabricate things and they will seek to exploit you. That's why we are to be on guard. Uh, but God's in control, God is aware of it and their condemnation, which might be delayed, is nonetheless still coming. Peter then goes, in one sentence actually, we don't pick this up in our English translations, but it's one long sentence from verse 4 to verse 9 in which he basically starts with if and when he gets to verse 9, then. If God didn't spare the angels when they sinned against him, but cast them down to... Now, there are two translation issues in all Bibles in this chapter. And there probably is... I couldn't find one, but there probably is an English translation that translates this correctly. But in verse 4, all, most English translations translate it as hell. If God did not spare the angels when they fell, but he cast them into hell... Good Bibles will actually, and the NIV does this, will give you a little note. It's not hell. It's literally Tartarus. Tartarus. They didn't go to hell. I don't know why Bible translators translate it as hell. It's got me completely bamboozled. I don't know. It's not hell. Nothing is in hell at the moment. Hell is empty. Satan's not in hell. The demons are not in hell. But there is these other places, Hades and Tartarus, where the angels are confined, where the departed wicked are confined. They will come out of that and then on Judgment Day they will be sent to hell. So anyway, it's my little soapbox. That's one little issue. There's another one. We'll see if I have time to rant and rave about that. Um, if God didn't spare the angels when they fell, if God didn't spare the ancient world but flooded it, but he rescued Lot, uh, Noah with seven others, and if God didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah, if God didn't spare the wicked... Then, then, and then, then, God knows how to rescue the godly. God knows how to rescue... That's the point, that's verse 9. That should be up there. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly as well as hold the unrighteous ready for judgment. God is on the throne, God is in control. Bad things happen in our world, don't despair. Peter is basically saying... Continue to be faithful to him and to follow him and be true to him because eventually, though he is very patient, he's also righteous and just and judgment will come. As God spared Noah and Lot, so God will spare us if we remain faithful. That's the point if you read the chapter. Um, so Peter gives those illustrations and I'm jumping over all of that. Then he goes on to detail about these false teachers. They've wandered off. They've professed faith, but it's not a real true faith because they've wandered off the road, off the straight way, and they've gone to follow... Here's the other translation issue. Um, Balaam, son of... The NIV has Beza. <clears throat> that word, Beza, we don't know what it is. Different Greek manuscripts have a different word. You look up your ESV, Bosor, and others have a different translation. And uh, the reality is, 
we don't know what the word is. And I don't know why the NIV has Beza. I, that's the only Bible I know that does that. <coughs> we don't know who the father of Balaam is. But beside the point, not important. Balaam is the issue. Balaam was a false prophet, a Gentile, but a prophet who was called, Numbers chapter 22 to 24, uh, was called by ancient kings to curse Israel. And Balaam knew it was wrong. But because the money was good, he went. He loved the wages of wickedness. And he came up with a compromise. God wouldn't let him curse the people of Israel. And on the way, this remarkable story where his donkey tries to stop him going to do what is completely wrong. And the donkey eventually... A donkey who is dumb, a donkey who is, can't speak, speaks. And not only does the donkey speak, Balaam speaks to the donkey. It's dumb and dumber. And God, through a donkey, speaks to him to restrain him from the angel of the Lord. It's a remarkable story, isn't it? There's always something wrong when animals speak. Serpent spoke in the garden, donkey speaking here. Do animals go to heaven? I don't know. If they do, I hope he's there. I'd like to chat with him. God used a donkey to restrain the prophet. Isn't that remarkable? That's what God's like. Here is a guy committed to doing the wrong thing for, the, for wages and God is hindering him. God is intervening to stop him doing the wrong thing. And this guy's not a Jew, he's a Gentile. That's what our God is like. He's incredibly patient with the wicked and with us and he cares about us all of us but he will assert his will he will enforce his sovereign purposes and peter goes in to describe use different metaphors and images of these people they are like springs without water you ever gone to a fountain and you're dry you're thirsty and you want to have a drink and you go there and it's empty doesn't work well that's what the false prophets are like promise much deliver little they promise freedom when in fact they are enslaved to their own sinful desires and so on. It's false teaching. They're misdriven by the storm. At the back of our house, we have an outside large outside area and we can look over the hill south of us and sometimes at night particularly you can see the storms coming in and the thunder and the lightning and I sit out there occasionally and uh, when Rhonda kicks me out of the house usually and and you watch the storm coming. But I don't know what it is, but in our location, they go that way, left of us or right of us. We often don't get the rain. We get the wind and we get the show, the lightning and the thunder, but no rain. That's what these false prophets are like. Clouds driven by the wind with nothing in them. They don't deliver. That's the metaphor that he's given. And please note, Peter says, blackest darkness is reserved for them. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, then you have a room reserved for you in heaven. 1 Peter chapter 1. But for these false teachers, these who are going astray, then blackest darkness is reserved for them. Their judgment is coming. They... <clears throat> Mouth empty, boastful words, they do a whole lot of talking, they appeal to the lusts of the desires of the sinful flesh and they entice people, this is their target. Who do they target? New Christians. 
People who are just escaping from those who live in error. People who are just new to the faith. They're the targets. That's where the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, for instance, particularly, will tackle uh, lower socioeconomic communities. People who are just coming out. And so, be on guard. They promise them freedom, but they're slaves. We spoke about that. Um, in this passage, you may, when you read it, think that Peter's talking about the false prophets. I think he's talking about the new Christians. I think he's talking about the people who have come under the influence of the false prophets. He's talking to the church. And he says to them, if they, the people who are becoming, have escaped the corruptions that's in the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour Jesus, and again become entangled in their sinful ways, and they're overcome in it, then the end result for them is going to be worse. You would have been better off, verse 21, of never having known the gospel, never having decided to follow Jesus, rather than to start to follow him and to give up. There are consequences for people which are more severe for a person who has never heard than for a person who has heard but who does not follow, or for a person who starts to follow but doesn't continue. God takes that very seriously. And probably one of the biggest things that chooses the Lord off is deception, is um, distorting truth. Of people who profess faith but who are not genuine in their faith, it irritates him and the consequences will come. Uh, Peter ends with a rather disgusting proverb, one in the scriptures and one from their society. Of them the proverb uh, is two, a dog returns to its vomit and a, a pig, a sow, that is washed returns to the wallow in the mud again. The point is, the dog or the pig return to whatever they've been delivered from. So these people who are starting to follow Jesus, but they return to their sinful ways, that's his point. And it's a disgusting image, isn't it? You ever seen a dog vomit something up and then lick it up? I have. It's revolting. And a pig, a sour, even if you wash it, actually it's, uh, in the Greek text, it washes itself, it gets clean somehow, but it returns to wallow in the mud. Why? Why does a dog vomit up, uh, vomit up something, which is not upsetting it? Why does it eat it again? And why does a pig return to the mud? Why? Because it's their nature. Their nature hasn't changed. And so in following the Lord Jesus, we are born again. Our old sinful nature is transformed to a new nature. We have been born again. But not everybody who says they're born again are born again. They pretend to be followers of Jesus. They profess faith, but there is no faith genuinely. And that's the people Peter that's the people Peter is talking about. So the question becomes, are you a genuine follower of the Lord Jesus? Have you been born again? Well, you live in this world where there are false teachers and false prophets. So what? Well, this. Beware of false teachers. Be assured of their end. Though it may linger from our perspective, it's coming. And be aligned with the faithful. That's our responsibility to align ourselves with the faithful. You can be certain of these truths. In chapter 1, be certain that you are in Christ and that you are growing. Remember the ladder, the seven steps of the ladder? Add to your faith, goodness, and to goodness, add knowledge, and to knowledge, add self-control, and on. Those seven things. Make sure you're in Christ and that you're growing in Him. 
also in chapter 1, be certain of the truth as it's recorded for us in the scriptures. You do well to pay attention, Peter says, to the word of God. To read it. Not simply to mouth it. Not simply to say, yes, I believe the Bible. It's actually to read it. Study it. I'd like a dollar for every time somebody in our church, someone comes to me and says, I've got something going wrong in my marriage. I've got something going wrong in life. I'm, I'm flat spiritually. It's, when did you last read your Bible? Oh, I haven't read that for months. It's amazing. We are Bible-believing, Bible-teaching followers of Jesus. Read your Bible, people. Read it every day. Memorise it. So, be certain, chapter 1, be certain that you're in Christ and be certain of the truth as it's recorded in the Scriptures. Chapter 2, be certain that there will be false teachers amongst you. We are not immune. I know a person who has attended this church and I know he comes from another denomination and I know he doesn't believe what we believe. And he attended and he attended for about six months or so. Doesn't attend now. But I wonder why he was attending. Was he attending to have an influence to try and persuade some people? Be certain, there will be false teachers amongst you, so be on guard. <clears throat> and they will seek to influence some. And then chapter 3, be certain, God will judge the world and Jesus is coming. And so what does all of that mean for us? Well, be careful how you walk. Be careful how you follow Jesus. And make sure that you are following him very closely. Because out at transformation, we all want to be better than what we are. And some people are very good at pretending that they are better than what they really are. But out of transformation without inner transformation leads to spiritual incarceration. You get, you're bound in sin. The only way to be free is in Jesus, <laughs> knowing him. <clears throat> out of reformation is important. But it's important that it flows out of an inner transformation, the reality of following Jesus. Remember the dogs and the pigs? So be certain. There will be false teachers amongst you. You'll know them by their character, their creed and their converts, the people who hang around with them. So make sure that you are following the Lord Jesus and that you are careful in how you walk and that you are sincere in the process of doing all of that. Let me say this and then I'll finish. I didn't tell you about... I'm not going to either. <clears throat> there is, this survey has been done on numerous occasions and I asked Rhonda this question and I'll tell you her answer. What would you be prepared to do for $10 million? <laughs> what would you be prepared to do for $10 million? $10 million. They did a survey, 1,000 people, 25%. For $10 million, they would abandon their families. It's $10 million. Would you abandon your family? Well, some, no, not some of them. Abandon all of them. $10 million. And Then it just gets worse, doesn't it? 23% of people, 23%, they would be prepared to be a prostitute for a week, be prepared to have sex with anybody for seven days. 
well, it is $10 million. 7% said they'd be prepared to kill somebody, a stranger. Which one of those did Rhonda say? None of the above. She said, I don't know. Nothing. What would you do for $10 million? See, that's Balaam's problem. Hello, Morton. I'm naughty. $10 million, that's Balaam's problem. The money is what's important. I'll do anything for the money. It's not, is it? 1 Timothy chapter 6 talks about how people who've abandoned the faith and they've uh, ruined their souls spiritually because of their pursuit of riches. There's a false teaching in our world that we can be quite easily influenced by money and the pursuit of it. Don't be distracted. Be careful how you walk. Be careful who you follow. Be careful who you listen to. And be careful to follow the Lord Jesus. Because he is coming and he will hold us accountable. You got ten, if I gave you, what? You'd take, take me outside. Take her outside. Oh. <laughs> Tony just said for those at home, if I had $10 million, he'd take a phone outside. It keeps going off. Has anybody got $10 million? I'm sure somebody has. Not us. <laughs> it's a satanic distraction, isn't it? Really? We're going to pray. Let's pray. Poor Eric. <laughs> Heavenly Father, it's good for us to relax and to laugh together, to enjoy each other, because in the midst of this very serious chapter and this very fallen world, these are truths we need to be reminded of and that we need to work through in terms of applying that we need to be bold and strong in our faith. We need to be gracious and generous. But we need also, Lord, to be strong and true and to speak the truth in love, even to people with whom we disagree. And that we need to confront, lovingly, but to confront false teachers and false teaching and to bring your word to bear upon it. And not to pursue the favour of people, but your favour. So, Lord, this week, help us to walk with you, to listen to you, and to please you in all of our life choices. Help us to discern truth from error. And, Lord, protect us. We commit ourselves to you when we pray again in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen.